So good evening, and tonight we're going to uh, be talking about the the chapters of 7 and 8 in Genesis. And so for Lewis, uh, who is new uh, tonight, this class is meant to go through books of the Bible and to help explain the Word of God um, uh, to you. And I learned from it too. I've been teaching the Bible for decades, but I am still learning. And this is a very important thing. It's not a lecture. It is it is interactive. So please feel free to stop and ask questions at any time. Um, I ask people to read if they're comfortable, and also to ask questions and provide comments. And there's no there's no wrong answers. There's no wrong questions. And so I encourage everyone to just be open and honest. The goal here is to try to explain the Word of God so that it can become a part of your life. And I say that this class is meant to help teach. So we study but we also practice. So the goal here is to take what we're learning and try and apply it to our lives and not make it an academic pursuit or just kind of a, you know, like I call it the discovery channel. That's not what this is. We talk about history, archaeology, cultures, language, but the, the focus is to take the Word of God and try and understand it and apply it to our lives. Genesis chapter 7 picks right up um, from last time where we were talking about Noah and what's coming to be the great flood. And I think what we'll do, last week we talked about the run-up to the flood. God created the world. He created man in his image. Um, Because man is sinful, he separates himself from God, who is our creator. And in the beginning, God is very slowly revealing himself to the human race. What happens is sin enters the world, and it begins to separate mankind from his creator, from our creator. That very rapidly descends into what we would call chaos, where sin very quickly takes over the world and mankind becomes almost completely corrupted by it in a very um, short order. Because of that, God decides that it's time to push the reset button. And he identifies a man that we call Noah, who he considered to be the only righteous man left on earth at the time. And he decides to make Noah kind of the... um, person who is going to take the few humans left, that is his wife, his three sons, and their wives, through an event that will be a cataclysmic event for the world, where he kind of pushes the reset button on creation. We're going to talk about that tonight. So I like to say in this class, um, we talk about what we know, we can speculate about what we think or what we feel. Um, A lot of times passages, especially in Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, spark many questions. And I like to say, what I can do in this class is provide answers for what I know for sure. Um, There are always a lot of questions when we talk about, especially, you know, something like Noah's flood, where, uh, and maybe I'll back up, the point to understanding the Word of God is to read it and derive what its meaning is. Um, we ask three questions in this class. Who wrote it? Who was the audience? And what's the point? Um, the, the assertion of this class is that for any passage in the Bible that we read, there is enough detail to derive what the meaning is. What is God trying to tell us through that passage? Oftentimes, there's additional uh, content that, that is not necessarily related to the, the core meaning of the passage, that is, what is God trying to communicate to us through this, uh, through this scripture that generates new questions? Sometimes we don't have answers for those questions. Sometimes we do. Uh, oftentimes, um, we kind of have 
half of a, a story. Tonight we're going to talk about something that I know many people have a lot of questions about, and that is the ark, the flood, the animals, and that sort of thing. So I think what is best to do tonight is just we'll start by reading. We'll read the passage, and I do ask for a volunteer uh, to read chapter 7, the entire thing, and that's 1 to 24. Let's go through that. And then what I'll ask is we'll pause, and I'll ask for your feedback, and I'm going to ask you as we're going through this, you know, what is the purpose of this passage? What is the point that the author um, uh, with the Holy Spirit through a human author is trying to make here? And then we can kind of dive into the word. So who would like to volunteer tonight to read Genesis chapter 7 for me? There, is there a specific um, yeah, version that you use? That is an excellent question. Um, I have what is essentially the NIV that a copy of it that I got when I was 16 years old. Um, that does not make it um, any more authoritative necessarily than another English translation. I, we can go around. I know that people in my classes have had the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, um, the New Century Version. Maybe I'll ask you guys, what versions are you using tonight? ESV. ESV? Yeah. I have the Spirit-filled life. Oh, that's right. I like that. I asked that last week. Spirit-filled life. What about you, Mike? It's the New Living Translation. That's the, yep. I, I only have an NIV my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> I like to listen to the NLT, and, that's, and then I have okay. this one. But I, when I study, I like to use the ESV. Excellent. So I don't know if anybody's... Excellent. I'll read, so I was going to read from the ESV. That would be awesome. Please go ahead and do that. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offsprings alive on the face of all the earth. For in the seven days I for in seven days I will send rain on the earth. 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. <coughs> of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds, and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, and on that day of the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons Shem and Ham and uh, Japheth, uh, Japheth, <laughs> and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life, 
And those that enter, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevail above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land and those in, in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were in, were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed, prevailed on the earth 150 days. What is the point of Genesis chapter 7? <clears throat> or points? All right. Blood. Judgment for man's corruption. Yeah. Judgment. For man's corruption and sin. God's yep. Thank you. Okay. Say it again. Noah's obedience. Yes. Noah's Safety. obedience. Safety. <laughs> it did. Yes. Noah's obedience was. But I chuckled when it said that God shut the door. Isn't that great? Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. That's it. Okay. Very good. Ah. So here, it's interesting because, yes, it seems as though we have an instance here where one man's righteousness has now borne fruit for those around him. We remember, as we remember back to the um, original chapters, that sin did the same effect. The sin of one person had repercussions for those around them as well. So it seems as though righteousness and sin have collateral effects. You can. You can, right. Not always. Because it didn't save the other people on the earth. No. Uh, And what else? So what else do we draw from this? These are great. Does it communicate? Here's a question. Does it does it kind of clearly communicate these points? I mean, is it pretty straightforward? It's not really a trick question. It's seems, like it seems pretty straightforward. And I think um, for me, as I as I understand this, you know, there's different ways you can read it. Um, one person might say, "Well, you just said there were seven of each kind of animal, but the chapter before said there were two, um, and so that." That starts to get into what you know. I have said is those are secondary questions. They they are interesting. They might be important. 
they're not necessarily critical in those details for understanding the true meaning, which I think we have kind of captured this meaning here. <clears throat> I believe this is the first time when that... So here we, we continue to see God slowly revealing holiness to, to the human race and truth. I think that's the first time we understand it to be there's clean and unclean animals. Mm-hmm. And another thing, I guess I just thought mm-hmm. of the <clears throat> Yeah. That how even the animals were under the command of God. Yes. Because otherwise, how, how could Noah have gotten the lions and the tigers and the giraffes yes. and, and the cougars? <clears throat> and the, I mean, you think about some of the, the animals that yes yes there seems to be a power of God here that's helping mm-hmm. he closed the door I mean that's he's helping here he's not just putting it all on Adam God yes even the waters yeah. Yeah, right. everything in this. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. That's that's a good one. Yes, there's these patterns. We see patterns here. But I'll get back to that. <laughs> the seven days before. It almost implies, and this is an interpretation, something of a last last um, chance maybe Um, now remember Noah took a hundred years to build this ark now just think about that for a minute that's a very long time for someone to do something and build something for something that is so far in the distance you have to wonder at year 88 did he start to question if this was ever going to happen right and you have to think of the generations of people that must have known surely that he was doing this watching him build it generations being born seeing him build this, and go, what is it? He must have been telling people what he was hearing. We don't think he was necessarily keeping it to himself. It seems as though God is, is saying, destruction is coming. Maybe repent. Maybe turn from your wicked ways. Um, something horrible is coming. You have a chance to get out of this. It's almost like as we read further into the Bible when we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, God giving them a chance. If I can find, you know, a hundred righteous men or ten righteous men, what have you. You know, it seems as though God is giving mankind a chance. He could have, he is under his own authority, to have snapped his fingers on day one and destroyed the world. And, and you know, picked up Noah, essentially, and just let everything wipe clean and set him back down. But he didn't do that. Um, I'll add this. Um, mankind played a role in this. He'd a role in this event. Both ways, both as the cause of this destruction happening, but also of its salvation. Noah played a part in obeying God and building the ark as a means of salvation of the animals of the earth to make it to the other side. But he's patient. He waited 100 years. It took 100 years to build the ark. He waited seven days once they went in, as if to say, you've got seven days left, you know, (laughs) 
it's coming. You, but you made a good point yeah. uh, a couple minutes ago where yeah. you said maybe at year 88, it was like, question, we don't see yeah. that anywhere. Correct. Where his life, how was his life during that 100 years? Yeah. He is a human being. Correct. So was he struggling? Correct. You know, we struggle right now with our patients yes. and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. yeah. was he impatient? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he probably was mocked. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yep. days were evil. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to believe this one guy saying it's going to rain. You know, it's, right. <laughs> it's going to rain uh, without stopping. Mm -hmm. Who is going to ever believe him? Right. Right. It never rained. When it did never rain. Yeah. yeah. And even to say, you know, the earth had not ever been destroyed mm -hmm. before that point. So what? there's no evidence from the past that suggests this could happen in the future at that point. This was a new event. Anything else? Yeah, I think walking in faith is, is huge in this. Yeah, patience. yep, patience. Yep. Patience. Walking in faith. This may be the first event in Genesis that we, we think we might have archaeological evidence for. And I don't mean the ark, I mean the flood. There's two kind of groups of, of knowledge that we have now. And again, this class is not, and I need to make this point. This is not an apologetics class. Um, there's no such thing as I'm going to give you some evidence and you're going to suddenly believe. Okay, and I and I take a stand against you know the debate idea that I'm going to get up and debate someone who who is hostile to the word and I'm going to come up with some kind of magic list of evidence and they're going to believe. You believe because the Holy Spirit has supernaturally allowed you to believe, and that's just the truth. Um, we pray that the Holy Spirit changes hearts and minds so they can be receptive to the word and accept it. But I am a science junkie and a history junkie, and I love this stuff when it does happen. So it turns out that for the flood itself, first of all, every major ancient religion of the Near East has a flood story. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's over 200, and you can count them, but 200 and some different cultures that we know of today, and remember, that's, this is many years ago. The fact that we can even know this is grace, recorded through literature and, and stone writings and tablets and stories that have been passed down in art of different cultures of the region all having a flood story in which God, and in their case, gods, being unhappy with the human race, decide to destroy the, the, the earth through flood, bringing one righteous man and his family through it. Now I want you to think about that for a minute, <laughs> how remarkable that is. That independently, all these different cultures have a flood story. And it kind of lines up, and in some cases it doesn't. But the themes are there, um, the themes of, of old age. In some of them, the ages of the humans who are living it are tens of thousands of years. Now we have to take a, you know, again, a step back and say, I don't know what that means. Here, Noah's 600 years old. In some of them, they're thousands of years old. But here's the point. You can see the themes, the common patterns are repeated through these different stories from different cultures. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that they're onto something. There's a reason all of these different cultures seem to all of a sudden have a flood story that seems to be very ancient, very ancient indeed. 
Now that's kind of a sociological context. There's also seems to be physical evidence. Now this is what, you know, the holy grail of any, again, apologeticist who wants to go through and prove the Bible is true. They're like looking for physical evidence, right? The, the holy grail or the, or the Ark of the Covenant, what have you. Um, I find it fascinating. And I, look, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not an internet thing. Um, Bob Ballard, the guy who discovered the Titanic um, in the 1980s, was convinced that, and I don't know if he's a Christian, I don't know what his, his purpose, I feel like maybe part of this is just his desire maybe to, you know, fame and glory, I don't know. A uh, very smart guy. He decided to say, well, look, if, if there was a flood of this magnitude, there must be some kind of physical evidence that it occurred. So he decided to go to what's called the Black Sea. And I don't know if you know much geography. Um, north of Turkey, um, the Strait of Constantinople, now Istanbul, and you know, empties into this big sea, which is now salty, called the Black Sea. Okay, so you know. Thank you. It's just south of Ukraine. Okay. That's a hot spot right now. Excellent. Okay, so you guys know about this. Mm-hmm. Not what you're talking okay, about. Okay, well, you, about the Black Sea, maybe. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There we go. North of the Mediterranean. He decided to look underwater to say, it, you know, there have there have been stories and ancient stories that the Black Sea was once a, f- a small freshwater lake, and now he's like, well, now it's a gigantic saltwater sea. He's like, well, what if it hasn't always been this giant sea? So he went and looked under the ocean with his submersibles because he has this technology. And guess what he finds? He finds evidence of shoreline settlements ringing the Black Sea of homes, structures built of stone that are very ancient, pottery, jewelry, boats. Again, there's a lot of stuff down there that looks like it was an ancient shoreline from many, many years ago. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago of cultures that are very ancient. What does that tell you? That suddenly there shouldn't be homes 100 feet under the Black Sea, right, in the middle of the Black Sea. That makes no sense whatsoever. It suggests that at some point in history, a catastrophic flood, very quickly, because there's all this stuff built there, and now it's completely flooded, very quickly inundated and filled the Black Sea and filled it. Was that the flood? I don't know. It's fascinating to speculate, right? But it starts to get at this idea that I do believe God acts in ways that we can see with our eyes and experience with our ears. It's not all something that we imagine. If there was a catastrophic worldwide flood, I would think there's evidence for it. And it seems as though there might be whispers of that. I'm just saying that as, it's cool, you know, to think about, you know, what's out there. Of course, you know, if you watch, you know, Discovery, again, I, I love the Discovery Channel. I don't know why I pick on it, but, um, you know, you know, every few years someone claims to discover the Ark of the Covenant. Here's my theory. If, uh, if the ark, if this is true, and I believe it is, and an ark, a gigantic wooden structure full of metal and supplies and tools and pieces of stuff that humans need, suddenly survives a catastrophic flood, comes to rest on top of a mountain, and the only humans left are in that ark, what's the first thing they're going to disassemble and use as homes, tools, wood for fire, and what have you? The ark. (laughs) The ark is now their only natural resource. That thing's long gone. That's what I think. Anyway. Yeah. They would live to eight and nine hundred years right. and almost a thousand years. That's the result. Yes. Post flood, 
it was like Joshua was 110. Yes. The age has really changed after the flood. Mm-hmm. I think yes. people theorize that that's um, post-flood. The mm-hmm. atmosphere changed and a lot more sunlight would come in, but ultraviolet light mm-hmm. would cause aging in mm-hmm. the person's system and it's their lifespan. fun to, to think about that, right? And like... Why did that happen? I would take a step back and say, what does that tell you at the biggest picture possible? What does that tell you about the world before the flood and after the flood? What does that suggest? It's changed. I think this is a big one here. The flood, you know, changed the world. Um, Here is... You know, what is the interpretation of the ark? What is the interpretation of the flood? Um, there is many smart, again, this gets into the, this is what we, you know, theorize, not necessarily what we know. Why, why, why an ark? Why two of each kind and seven of each kind? Well, you know, one thing is to suggest this is a new creation, right? God pushes the reset button on his creation, um, but brings it through the flood, through, again, one man, one man brings creation through from a sinful world to a reborn world. In some ways, this is a new world. It is a new creation. It has kind of new rules. It has new life. Um, it is almost as if it is kind of a poem or something to kind of suggest what might come later. Again, that's interpretation. But now that we live in the grace era, we can look back and say, you know, one man came to the earth and changed everything, and now the world has changed because of him. And Noah's not Christ, but it gives you an idea of that. Okay. Any other comments or questions about Genesis 7? And by the way, I don't know the date, and, and this is what I say in this class. Um, the further back in history you go, the less sure we are of any kind of date. Many people want to know when this happened. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what the date was. It was in the past. And again, that gets at this point, which is, and maybe I didn't say, what is the meaning? It does not matter what the date of the ark was. Um, it doesn't matter were there dinosaurs on, on the boat. It doesn't matter. Um, was it really... A flood that covered every mountain on the entire globe all the way to the top? Well, it sure suggests it was here. I take it at face value, and that's another thing we say in our class, is that um, we need to be willing to interpret any piece of scripture as literal, um, um, whether we think it might be poetry or not. Okay. God's plan was really precise. Yes. Seven days, 40 days of rain, four days and nights, and then the flood persisted for 150 days. Yes. 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 That's amazing precision for this passage. Isn't it? I mean, it's almost down to the minute and the second. Why do you think that is? What's your interpretation of that, Craig? Why have that? Well, God has a precise plan. I think that's the exact idea. That's it. Exactly. Something like a flood. I mean, you know, ordinarily, it would just be complete chaos. Yeah. Who knows what? But I love it. God's, you know, I love plan it. Was going to be precisely what He said it would be. What does that tell you? Let's extrapolate to how do we apply that to our lives? How would you extrapolate that? Nothing is random. Ah, 
there's a reason. Yeah. His purpose is fulfilled. Yep. Ah. His purpose is fulfilled. His plan is fulfilled. There's a passage in Esther. Um, further in the Bible, in Esther, the Jews in captivity in Babylon are facing extinction, extermination. And Mordecai goes to Esther, the queen of Xerxes, the king who has the power to destroy all of the Jews. And he goes, um, you need to help intervene because it's God's plan that, for now, you intervene to convince the king not to destroy the Jews. And Esther has this moment where she has this, <laughs> what you would expect, Basically, in her culture, if she goes to the king and he, she's not invited, she could get killed immediately on the spot for that. That was not protocol. So she expresses her worry and says, well, <laughs> this might not work out so good for me if I do this. And Mordecai, you know, he says very plainly, look, um, God's plan is going to be fulfilled. You have a chance now to be part of that. If you don't do it, you will face certain destruction. But make no mistake about it, someone else will be raised up to do what you are being asked to do, and it will still be done anyway. I think you have to say, look, if Noah at year 88 felt like Brian Freeman would have, and said, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if this is really going to happen, make no mistake about it, God would have found someone else to raise up to do it. <laughs> uh, thank, thankfully for Noah, he didn't give up, Right? God's plan will be fulfilled in our lives. And I think that's excellent application. We can trust it. And that gets at the trust piece. Yeah. I was just going to say another thing is he, he doesn't ask us to understand it. Yeah. To understand it, yes, just to trust it. Oh my gosh, this is so good. God requires faith, trust. Trust. I think this is really important. Um, you have to trust him. Yes. Trust is hard. Yes. We, we yes. sang a song one time in the Christmas, Christmas tale that said when you, when you can't see his hand, trust mm-hmm. his heart. Ah. So when you don't know what he's up to, still trust This is good. Heart. I love this. It's for, it's for our good. It's for our best. Now you could say, getting back to the year 88 thing, Almost certainly, there must have been people that wanted to burn that ark down because he was an idiot. You're an idiot. This is never going to go anywhere. I'm going to show that guy while he's sleeping tonight. I'm going to go burn his ark down. You have to imagine. The angels stopped them. That's it. it. That's it. And what does that mean? That means that God was showing for a hundred years that he was faithful to, to Noah. I am going to protect you and your family. Your family is not going to be harmed. The ark is not going to be burned to the ground. And guess what? When the day comes and those animals start showing up, God continues to prove his faithfulness. Now, you and I could ask, how did the animals know to show up? How did the water come up from the the cracks in the earth to fill the thing? How is this working? It doesn't matter. (laughs) How is not important. And this gets at the whole, well, how did he make the world in six days? How did Jesus rise from the dead? I don't know. But like the blind man said, all I know is once I was blind and now I can see. That's all I need to know. You don't have to know, here's the physician, you don't have to know how your food nourishes your body. You just need to eat it. And guess what? 
you know and trust it'll work because you've been eating for a lot of years and you haven't died yet. (laughs) You can trust food. It works. You just have to trust it. I love this. There we go. Why don't we go on to the the next part where we get to see some good stuff come out of all this. Now the whole world is damaged. Chapter 8. Let's read Genesis chapter 8, all the way 1 through 22. See what happens here. Who would like to read that for me? But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rains, the rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he made uh, and set forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives were with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. What is the point of Genesis chapter 8? You can answer too if you want to, but you don't have to. Okay. (laughs) 
Well, the restoration mm. of the earth in which Excellent. Is okay. And, uh, yep. A precise plan for that as well. Excellent. Yep. The number of these. Um, yep. The rains were restrained. And Mm-hmm. The wind blew over the earth. It uh, dried yep. the waters, or evaporated them. I'll say God restrained. Yep. Yep. Say God restrained the destructive power. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And God's faithfulness. He remembered His promise. Yes. God remembered. His promise. Yep, he was faithful. Now, if Noah at year 88 could be thinking, what am I doing? Is this ever going to come? You have to also think on day 250 in that ark, (laughs) in very close quarters with your family and a bunch of smelly animals, when is this going to (laughs) end? Right? Is this ever going to end? Yes. 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 People never say that, do they? <laughs> Every day. Well, ah, excellent, excellent. That is so fun. Like turn around, smacking them, right? Like, <laughs> shut up. So funny. And then, you know, at the end, he also promises, you know, never destroy ah. all living things again. Well, I would never again destroy all living things as long as the earth remains. This is excellent. This is excellent. How awesome is it that we have a promise? Now, this promise, so God had a promise. Here we go. Makes a new promise. Now, there are many promises that God makes in the lead up to this. The first is, I'm going to destroy the world. He makes a promise. That is a promise to the entire human race. It's coming. He makes a promise to a specific individual. Noah, I will take you through this if you follow and trust me. Then he finishes it again with another promise and again to the entire human race. Now, and to Noah, and we're going to talk about that. Um, Next week, we'll talk about God's next covenant with Noah promise. But this time, before we get there, he's going to make a promise to the whole human race. Maybe we'll do it tonight, I don't know. Um, I'm never going to do this again. We were driving back from Clear Lake on Sunday night, and there was a beautiful rainbow off to the side as we were driving. How awesome is that? That's... What a coincidence, Craig, that that would happen like the week I'm going to talk about the flood. Gosh, there's so many. I'm kidding. No coincidence. How awesome is that? Even though, even though, and this is a promise, that is not conditional. This is not a conditional promise. Now, again, we'll go, as we go through the Bible, we will realize that God does make Unconditional promises and conditional, and the conditional are for a reason. The conditional are, he didn't know that wasn't going to happen. It was, I'm going to make this promise, but I know you're going to break it, but I'm still going to, I'm going to be glorified because I knew you were going to break it. Here, there is no condition on man. He just says, I'm not going to destroy it, even though you're going to be sinful and and deserve it. (laughs) 
He's going to kind of say that. You're going to kind of deserve it, but I'm still not going to destroy it by flood. We know that it's, it will be destroyed at the end times through fire and, and other horrible things, but, but that's at the end. Until that happens, there is not going to be another cataclysmic destruction of the world until it is God's planning, and that's to bring his new kingdom into the world. So, This should bring some uh, comfort to the climate enthusiasts. Okay. Yeah. It tells you that as long as the earth remains open, uh, hot and cold, summer and winter, <laughs> yeah. and uh, seed time and harvest. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, one could extrapolate that and say, this isn't our world to destroy. Don't make no mistake, I can, you know, I can make Chernobyl go off and there'll be horrible things, right? And, and you know, it's a horrible mess for the planet. But God is still saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen for the entire planet. It's not man's world to destroy now. It's his, right? We, we have been given dominion over it. We have been asked to rule over it. But God is making it very clear that we have a higher power we report to. We're not the stop. We're not the end here. Um, uh, and, and so I think that does give me some kind of comfort. Um, I don't know how you feel. That doesn't mean we can't screw it up. Make no mistake, we, can't, we can screw it up, and we have, um, but we cannot destroy it. It is not ours to destroy. He was not given to us to destroy, and God is sovereign. Only he can completely destroy it. Right, he's created a world that has amazing resilience yes. to the insults that man does to the world. You know, hey, to, the environmental to what God does to the world. What This is a good point, actually. Yeah. The world is amazing. It is. The earth is amazing. Let me say it that way. It's a jewel in the cosmos. Even when God destroyed it, the dove came back with what? Plants are awesome. I'm a plant scientist. Plants are awesome, right? He read that interesting and yeah. leaf, yeah. and that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. That's, That's mean, awesome. There again. Patterns. Things that just fall yep. place. Patterns. They don't just... <laughs> yep. Patterns. Patterns. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. Baptism is a flood, right? It's it yeah. and later in scripture, um, the Holy Spirit reveals that the cataclysmic flood of Noah's time is related to baptism in the way that we are destroying what is an old creation and you will be reborn out of that. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And Noah offered a burnt offering to the Lord. Yeah. Ah. So we have again some firsts. We had a first. Yes, we have a first sacrifice. That was one of the reasons for the seven pairs. Correct, correct, and let's be honest, food for the other animals, right? Because they got to eat. Um, well, yeah. Well, um, didn't say God commanded him to do this. Offering. Ah, it was his like. Well, I guess he could have, but it's not specifically said. That's a good way to say it. You know? That's a good way to say it. Seems as though he did this. Intent. He did, Noah did this on his own, voluntarily. That's what I was trying to say. Voluntarily um, gave thanks. And what is uh, apparently the first uh, evidence of an altar being built, an altar as a place where it is, you know, as we'll see, it is a place to um, honor God. An altar is a place to remember God's 
faithfulness. Very specific events in the Old Testament will be commemorated with altars. And here as a place to offer up a sacrifice to God. Now, this is another thing. Maybe you're Noah's, you know, grandchild sitting there um, looking at these animals. Um, Not entirely clear. Yeah, I I suppose there is some indication that the clean animals are the ones that they can eat. Um, But I don't know if they say that here yet. There's no indication. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful. I don't say anything wrong. Um, but you have to be looking. I'm hungry. I just got off the, the ark. And here's my grandfather burning our food on that altar, right? And you're thinking, again, I'm getting back to the whole, what does a human being look at this and say? But this is a great thing for Noah to do. I'm going to offer up a clean animal, something holy, something that God considers good as a sacrifice, right, to with no intention that he's getting anything out of it, really. I mean, you have to, you know, Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. I don't think that if Noah hadn't sacrificed on the altar, God wouldn't have made this covenant. I think he was going to make it anyway. But I think it was pleasing. What does that tell you for your application here tonight? For how we respond to God's faithfulness. You mean for... Sure. Maybe just, yeah. You know, Noah decides he's going to build an altar, he's going to sacrifice something and and offer um, a gift, let's say, to God. In this case, a sacrificed animal. With maybe no expectation that he's going to get something out of it. What does that, how does that inform you or impact you? Okay. Okay. For his, for his being your father, being our father. Right. You know, taking care of us. Yeah. Um, providing for us. Good. Because he, I mean, if you think about it, from a cynical point of view, he's lost everything. His house is gone. His belongings are gone. He's been in this ark for a year. A lot of us would feel cynical about that. Go ahead. Yeah. And who knows where he's at compared to where he started. Ah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. You know, Yes. Yes. It's like I don't recognize these mountains. Yeah. Here we go. Look, we got geography people here. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. But knowing everybody else yeah. is gone, and all the mm. other animals. I mean, mm. all the other things other than what mm-hmm. God put in that ark with you. Mm. I I would think you would just fall on your face and yeah. be grateful that you're mm-hmm. still alive. Hmm. Mm. And if God could bring him, if God brought him through the flood, he can surely get him through the rest of his days and his family. Ah, okay. <clears throat> I like that. A good meaning for all of this. Um, it'd be almost like uh, a, a walk with God. Um, like. Everything that's, that that we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. All the the obedience, the trust, the faith, everything. It's like you walking with God faithfully brings favor from God for you. Ah, okay. I'll write it. Let's see, let me see. So it's like a vital walk with God between God. our faith walk and God's. 
I, I see that there. I see this connection. God is being faithful to Noah. Noah is being faithful to God. There's a relationship there. We talked about this in the very beginning. Relationships matter to God. He establishes a relationship between himself and mankind. He establishes a relationship between man and woman. He establishes a relationship between siblings. Relationships matter. I like this. It implies he does care. He's not just some kind of, what would you say, kind of impersonal, you know, robot master who's created a bunch of little robot puppets and, you know, he's just kind of watching them go and eating his popcorn. Now this is, <laughs> he cares, he, he's, the relationship matters. I like this, Lewis, I like it. Any other thoughts? Well, and I've heard um, the fact, well, a comparison, let's mm-hmm. say, to the fact that he didn't tell Noah how to get out of this, right? Ah. So, like, he let Noah figure it out. Mm. So Noah sent a raven, he sent dove, wait, sent another dove. He mm. didn't say, oh, because everything up until that is, like, on day 10 and, mm. you know, very <clears throat> precise. I see what you're saying. You're like he's not saying on this day you can get out of the. I see what you're saying. Get out of the ark. Yeah. You know, so he kind of left it a little uh, up to Noah, but he didn't leave. You know, you know what I mean? Like I see exactly so there's what you're saying. An element of Noah figuring. Noah doesn't know the whole plan. Right. The, this, sure the details. I know what you're saying because. To be faithful, just one yeah. Yes. Right. There's a yes. Just a little bit more faith. Keep the faith. I think it teaches him to walk in faith. Ah, this is great. This is great. Again, eighty-eight. Are, are you still walking in faith? Or That's it. Give me another hundred days. I like this. This is so applicable to our lives. How many times have we been in a situation that's like, and I'm in one now in a way. Continue to be faithful. I know it's going to work out. I think what you're getting at, Stacy, is probably something like if if Noah already knew that by day 100 and I'm I'm sorry, um, 370, the water will recede and you get out of the ark. There's why would he keep sending out a first a raven and then a dove? He would already know. Well, no, on day 370, I'm getting out of the ark, so I'm just going to sit and keep you know eating fruit. But he didn't. He didn't know the details of the plan. God knew it, but he didn't. So he is just doing his thing. I get that. And I hadn't thought of that before. But he kept being faithful. He was faithful enough so when he got out, he still worshipped God for what he had done, suggesting he kept his faith. And I love this. It was training. That that thing, Lewis, that you said, the teaching, this whole thing was a teaching moment for Noah. And not right? just him, but his offspring. Yes. And his offspring, right? <laughs> All of us are now reaping the fruit of what Noah had to go through and rightfully rough to this day, thousands of years later in the new world, Gentiles are learning the lessons of faithfulness from Noah. How awesome is that? I think we'll stop there for tonight. Any final thoughts? I liked what we did last week, kind of go around and if you have and have any additional take home or application, you know, what do you think? How, how, does, how do you go home tonight and say, well, we learned about Genesis 7 and 8 and, you know, what's on TV, right? What, what did you learn? How are we going to apply this? I think when you put up there a little circle with the 
asterisk, right? Yeah. I think those are perfect applications. God requires faith uh, and trust, right? Okay. Not our understanding. Yes. How it's not important, and that, like that. it doesn't. Again, mm -hmm. no, no one doesn't know the details, so yep. keep the faith. Teach, teach him to walk in faith. So I think the application would be, you know, regardless of the season, time in your life, whether you're. 15 years old mm -hmm. or 80 years old it doesn't it doesn't matter mm -hmm. you need to walk in faith because mm -hmm. we all have flood moments but you have to walk mm -hmm. and, and god provides during those times so walk it. in faith oh man that's it's crazy. crazy i love that yeah, it is all through the flood right all through <laughs> right i'm just amazed at how much application we get out of how great and, and I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is revealing this to us because yeah that's awesome that's great I love it and without faith, it is impossible to please yeah. him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love that. Yeah, 11.6. I love that passage. I, I will say this. I don't, oft, I don't give homework in this class very often, but I am going to encourage you. There are key scriptures. And again, back up. Just because you memorize the Bible doesn't make you a good Christian. However... The word is meant to be consumed like food and make a part of you. I 100% encourage you to find those key passages and remember those scriptures. Hebrews 11.6 is one of them. I love that. Anything else? Mike, anything from your side? I, I, just, I keep kind of going back or keep getting caught up on the I will never again mm. curse the ground because of the human race. Mm. I, I've got to believe this kind of, I don't know, this is kind of my thought is that it goes back to it. Even like canning Abel, mm. the ground will be cursed. Yeah. And here it's basically saying that you know that you're you're going to have what you mm -hmm. need mm -hmm. if you can just be faithful. Mm -hmm. You know, in this way, you're going to mm -hmm. have what you need. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's interesting. I, I believe that. Like I said, it goes back to that. Okay, so wait a minute. The ground was going to be cursed. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to work the ground, and your descendants are going to have to work the ground. Mm -hmm. and not that we don't have to work, but yeah. it's uh, I would never again curse the ground because of humans. Now maybe we have a we have some bumpers here. Right. <laughs> Wanna? Mm -hmm. It's going to be cursed, but it's not going to be so bad that you can't live on it. Uh, you still will be blessed. I like that. He was given a they, God gave a command also: go out from the ark mm. by each family, uh, swamp yes. the earth. I mean, and all the animals yes. multiply. Mm -hmm. So he does give a command there. Isn't that awesome? And they do it. Right. They do it. Go and multiply. Go forth. Yes, be fruitful and multiply. Awesome. I'm grateful all these stories were told and retold and yes. written down yes. to stand on those truths. That's awesome. And it just reminds me, because I do... I share my story with my family mm. of the things God has done for mm. me through my years um, because I want them to know that the same God that has been faithful to me will be to them. Mm. And I think we need to go back and, and retell the story. I love this. 
I love so, this. There's, though they won't be ever written down in mm. this book, that's going to be, I said, that's one of the things I would say to my husband um, before he left mm -hmm. to go to heaven. I said, that's going to be one of the great things is being with all the saints mm -hmm. and hearing, I know why eternity is going to last so long. Because all these saints have all these stories to tell that were never recorded. Mm. Oh, yeah, I love that. that God has done for mm -hmm. them, that did for them through their lives. And it's important to tell our stories. I love that. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. I think we'll end there tonight. Thank you so much. Go tell your story. And <laughs> we'll see you next week.